Hello and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin and this is my co-host Joey. Hello, how's it going? And today we're talking about I Care A Lot. Look at you, sitting there. You think you're good people. You're not good people. Trust me, there's no such thing as good people. I used to be like you, thinking that working hard and playing fair would lead to success and happiness. It doesn't. Playing fair is a joke invented by rich people to keep the rest of us poor. And I've been poor. It doesn't agree with me. Because there's two types of people in this world. The people who take, and those getting took. Predators and prey. Lions and lambs. My name is Marla Grayson, and I'm not a lamb. I am a fucking lioness. This is an American crime thriller black comedy. Directed by Jay Blakeson. The cast includes Gone Girl, Tyrion Lannister, Darling, Peg, and some other great actors from roles I don't recognize. I watched this movie on Netflix. Joey, how did you watch it? I also watched it conveniently on Netflix. All right. Joey, why don't you give us the synopsis for I Care A Lot? Happy to. I Care A Lot follows a woman named Marla Grayson who is a professional guardian. Her job is explicitly to take care of people who cannot take care of themselves. However, she is actually a cunning grifter who uses a legal loophole to gain access to old people's savings, assets, and autonomy. She works with a shady doctor, an unscrupulous nursing home director, and various other people to steal from the vulnerable. Marla is very organized, clever, and cold, and easily manipulates, gaslights, and threatens whoever she has to has to to get that bag honey marla's newest target is called jennifer peterson she seems like the perfect mark she is relatively wealthy has no family or friends and lives alone marla through a court order now owns all of miss peterson's life and forces her into a nursing home another one in the books however miss peterson is not who she appears to be it turns out that she has a son named roman played by peter dinklage who is a super secret criminal overlord. After discovering that his mother has been placed in a home against her will, he begins to threaten Marla and her associates. First, Roman keeps his distance and just sends his fancy lawyer and attempts to buy her off, but Marla isn't phased. She becomes super suspicious uh, that there's more to Miss Peterson than meets the eye. Roman ups the ante. He sends his goons into the nursing home to rescue Miss Peterson, but they are met with gunfire and Marla's baseball bat. Then he kills Marla's doctor friend. Then he kidnaps Marla. By this time, Marla has figured out who he is and has a good idea of what he is capable of. She tells him that she will let Miss Peterson go if she is given $10 million. 
Roman scoffs and attempts to kill her. Marla survives and goes on the offensive. She figures out where Roman works, knocks him out, and leaves him in the middle of the road, completely naked. When he awakes, Marla reveals that the court has appointed her as his guardian and that she now owns him. Roman is impressed and admits that he has been bested. He offers her the $10 million that she asked for, but then proposes something else. He offers to fund her operation and take it nationwide, expand it vertically and horizontally so that they control not just the doctors, but the guardians and the nursing homes and make it into a massive corporation. A montage ensues of Marla becoming extraordinarily successful and wealthy, uh, appearing on talk shows and magazines. The movie ends with Marla being shot by the son of one of her former wards and bleeding in the street. That's I Care A Lot. Thank you so much for that synopsis, Joey. Let's get right into it with our pros and our cons. What did you like about I Care A Lot? There's so much to like about this movie. It's, it's a fun, original, thrilling story. Um, awesome performance from a super talented uh, Rosamund Pike. Uh, vibrant colors. Uh, this movie just looks amazing. Um, there's an absolutely chilling ending, and I'll be thinking about that for a really long time. What about you? What did you like about it? I totally agree. Rosamund Pike is amazing. She carries so much of this film, and even if it didn't include all these other amazing aspects, just seeing her performance, I think, is enough to for the the price is worth the price of admission, uh, which if you have Netflix is nothing. So really, really got to heap praise on a Rosamund Pike, but also it has a cynical critique of capitalism that I agree with. Good plot structure. It's relatively simple for a two hour long movie. It's very it's it's pretty simple and easy to follow. It has great dialogue and also uh, great music. I think there's a lot of great sequences that don't contain any uh, you know environmental noise or any sounds of what's actually going on it's just music over uh action and uh i I think those sequences are used in a very uh good way but now let's talk cons what did you not like about uh, i care a lot i had a really hard time coming up with anything honestly there was a so much that i liked about it everything i came up with felt kind of nitpicky um but i peter dinklage he's a little hammy i think he's he used he's a (laughs) It's very expressive in his uh, in his face uh, to the point where it's a little it's a little ridiculous, but it definitely fits into the theme and the tone of this movie. I think so. It's really not that out of place, and he clearly is having a lot of fun throwing stuff around the room, which is always a fun thing. I feel like that's the every actor's dream is to like be <laughs> allowed to throw something against a wall. <laughs> um, there's the and I feel like the anti-capitalist message that we get at the end, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, in detail. Um, it, I feel like maybe it could have been a little bit more present, but again, I feel like it was sprinkled in just enough and it was done so well. And I, um, I just, I absolutely love that. So again, there, it's really hard for me to come up with anything I didn't like about this. What about you? I totally agree. It's so hard to, to come up with anything. I feel like this movie accomplishes what it wants to accomplish. I did feel like there were some things that were a little bit like too convenient. For instance, tasers essentially being like perfect for taking people out. I wasn't under the impression that getting tased like just completely knocks you out cold and, and makes it so you can drive away. But and also like having a syringe ready to to knock uh, Peter Dinklage's character out, you know, at the perfect time, like being able to do all that stuff. The thing is, 
I don't care that it's a little too convenient, you know, like if yeah. this is really a reach, it feels like, like also being able to escape from a car underwater. Sure. It's like, that might be really tough to do in real life, but also this is a movie and she's yeah. a badass. So I, I don't really have a problem with it. So I, I feel like I agree with you. Like, it's really tough to nitpick this movie. I mean, the one thing I can really stick to is like, I didn't really get, peter dinklage's name in the movie i was just to me he was just peter dinklage the whole time but me it, too but again that's not really that big of an issue for me peter dinklage is so much larger than life like it's he's gonna be peter dinklage is in that most a short situations. joke no it's a I, okay now it's a short joke but it, it's an like i love peter dinklage and i think he's an amazing actor so it, it is it's definitely the type of thing where you when you have him in your movie a lot of times people are just gonna be like oh that's just peter dinklage and that's that's yeah. okay I, that's how I felt too. It's like then when I was writing the synopsis, I'm like, "Do you actually learn who his name? What his name is? Because she says what his name is, yes. but it's not. He doesn't. He doesn't say yes or no. He doesn't really give a confirmation that that she's right. right. She's just guessing. Um, and, but up to that point, obviously, he's been completely anonymous. So, and it just works because he is Peter Dinklage. So you can just call him Peter Dinklage, and that's how I thought of him and referred to him uh until about 10 minutes ago <laughs> right right and his, his his name isn't all that important it's easy to know who he is and his impact in this film there's not that many characters so it's not not a real con for me this movie is just it's good it's hard to criticize absolutely all right well let's uh let's talk about it more in depth here joey well what's give us your takes on this movie i absolutely love this movie i was I had really low expectations going in, uh, but I had heard people enjoyed it, and I knew the basic premise. I didn't expect it to be as fun and as colorful and as deep as it was. Um, the story is not based on an actual person or event, but the premise is based on reality. There are real people out there who prey on the elderly exactly in the way that Marla Grayson does in the story. Um, and when you, when you want to tell a story about something like that, I think you can go in two different directions. Either you can make a really depressing documentary that hardly every, anyone will have the stomach to watch, or you can take this as a jumping off point to tell a truly engaging and interesting original tale. And then tie that back into larger themes about the structures that encourage and allow something like this to happen. I think this movie executes on that surprisingly well. Um, Rosamund Pike is perfect. Uh, the, Carla, the character of Marla is so evil and ruthless, but it's hidden behind this carefully maintained wall, a professional woman. Uh, she's very similar to um, uh, Amy Dunn in, uh, in Gone Girl, uh, where she has these kind of two sides to her in a way. Um, so uh, if, if Rosamund Pike keeps getting gets typecast as like the badass like grifter, a woman who like like puppet master or something i'm totally okay with that i'll watch every single movie that she's in she does that because she's, she's amazing. two for two right now yeah <laughs> exactly um she, uh, marla never hesitates to play with her target's expectations takes advantage of their unbalance and strikes hard and quick her actions are so despicable but she rarely talks in a way that matches that or ever reveals that monster that lives inside it's a careful nuanced performance even though i don't think this movie ever endorses marla's behavior i still found her really compelling interesting and impressive and i enjoyed watching her on screen even if i disagreed with literally everything she did i i think that's really well put i think you really encapsulated there she's such a despicable bitch but she's also <laughs> personable smart 
cunning. She speaks eloquently. She's well put together. I mean, that haircut. Oh, oh what a good choice that haircut is. <laughs> it, it really is a microcosm of who she is because it's so, I don't know. I, I'm not, I've never had hair like that. So I don't know how tough it is to maintain such a symmetrical and uh, I don't know, well Perfectly cropped. Yes. Yeah. Every hair is the exact same length. It's just, I love it. I think it's such a good choice. It, it, and it's kind of out of the ordinary. I don't know if that haircut is in style or whatever, but it looks unique to me. So I think that that is perfect for the character. Uh, and um, and she, going on, she has a thriving business. She has a hot GF. She vapes giant plumes of vape smoke. I mean, <laughs> she's awesome. <laughs> I think Marla Grayson is the type of anti-hero that some people will decide to overlook the flaws of and see just as a character that they like. So uh, unlike yes. what you said, where you th- you liked her even though she disagreed with everything she did, I think there will be people who will still be able to say, I just think she's badass and I want to be just like boss. her. <laughs> yes, and okay, girl boss, just because she's literally a girl who's a boss, I think that this movie skillfully avoids being a like uh, you know stereotypical like multi-level marketing girl boss kind of stereotype. No, no, I think it turns it on its head. Actually, it's, yeah. it's a it's a very much like a like a feminist empowerment kind of there's like this motif underneath of it yes all of marla's employees and everything she all of her associates except for the judge and the and the uh the nursing home director are all women um like everyone she works with is as a woman and and she's in contrast with um roman's organization which is all men and she like best them at almost every turn right she's she's smarter quicker and understands the layout so much better and there's just all these kind of things about how it's uh, little pieces of things in there about how she's she's a lioness, right? Uh, not a lion, yes. uh, implying that she's something else altogether, something more dangerous even. And then um, there's all these there's just tiny little uh, things I, that I didn't really get quotes for or anything, but little pieces of dialogue that kind of support this idea of like you know men have ruined the world in a way, or like we are we're taking advantage of a situation, and we're, we're that situation happens to be that like uh, men will underestimate me because I'm a woman kind of thing, and, and it, it's done in a way that's like she's so scary and everything that she was informable on her own, but she has this, she uses that expectation to undercut and to uh, more effectively deal her grift, um, like this this this. Grift would not work the same way if she was a man because she plays with that those expectations so perfectly. Um, I think it's really interesting. It's not like a super present. It's not something that is really um, uh, what the movie is really about. It's just this underlying theme that's uh, that's there. And that's so important that it's not what the movie's about. The movie is not about, look, women can be grifters too. It's a movie about a woman who's a grifter. And it's not... I think it's this wave and I think we're seeing this more and more in newer movies as where we can see female representation that doesn't feel as shoehorned. We can have great characters who happen to be women as opposed to forcing a, uh, you know, a movie to be about the fact that there's a woman main character. Uh, you know, this is not a movie that feels like Captain Marvel. This is it's a movie that stands on its own merit that happens to have women in important roles, which we continue to see more and more examples of that being awesome. So I, I don't know. I, I think that that's great. I, I think the way you phrased it is is uh, exactly right. It's not what it's about, but it's definitely a heavy underlying feature. Uh, but going on, going back to this idea of uh, 
Marla Grayson as kind of this badass. Uh, I think she's carving out her place in the Mount Rushmore of like characters people overlook the flaws of uh like <laughs> problematic role models in film and television i think that this movie will someday be a movie we can use as potential dating red flags when a woman mentions that her favorite movie is i care a lot but it's for the wrong reasons <laughs> kind of like we do when men say that their favorite character is walter white and or, they're idolizing or, uh, him or, for the wrong reasons or v from v, v from vendetta right or the joker yes <laughs> <laughs> which i we love to see it i love those other characters as well i think for the right reasons and i also really love marla grayson so i i don't know just um while this movie has plenty of other things to offer i think the character of marla grayson entering the lexicon is important and i i look forward to referencing her and hopefully you know just remembering who she is uh because of i don't know just how much she stands out and hopefully never meeting her in real life <laughs> oh gosh i've already met her i've already whether it's directly or indirectly um people like marla grayson are all over the place um so i think marla is kind of a microcosm or micro version of the larger themes that play in this movie this is not a gritty depressing drama it's a its tone is kind of weirdly light and it's reflected in the extremely clean and tidy environments Think of like Marla's office or Peter Dinklage's office or even the nursing home. The movie itself shines with brightly dressed characters in, a, in bright sunny days. But like the nursing home in the movie, it hides a dark, twisted secret. It is so unsettling watching Marla succeed. She does it so effortlessly. And it's so hard for me to reconcile how easily something like this could happen to me. If I'm like a natural, naturally trusting person, I want to help people and not be obtrusive. If someone said, I'm with the government, you have to come with me. Would I know what to say? Would I know what to ask or what my rights are? It's, it's terrifying. This disjointed tone between aesthetics and message is how Marla is so successful. And it and isn't this exactly how evil works? In the real world, those who prey on the vulnerable or rob or steal or cheat often use language like, I'm here to help. I don't I know you don't understand, but you can trust me, or it's for your own good. We've this, been trying to reach you for months regarding your right. car car's extended warranty. Yeah, exactly. We're doing <laughs> this to help you. That's right. This can make it really confusing for ordinary people because in real life, evil people don't tell you that they're evil. This movie hits the idea home with the ending montage, showing the entire structure that Marla created in its full potential. The people that work there, do they know what they're doing? Are they being scammed too? Or are they fed little phrases like I said above to help swallow and dilute the evil that they are perpetuating? I bet some even believe it, some even believe it when they say it's for your own good. This is how atrocities happen, how something like the opioid epidemic got, got as bad as it did, or f why pharmaceutical companies are as big as they are. Bureaucracy hides atrocity. It divides up each little piece into something digestible and distributes it, distributes it um, among countless people. So each helps perpetuate it, but none are responsible. And so you end up with this glamorous, super clean aesthetic that Marla leads. But in, the, in fact, the whole thing is a giant, disgusting scam. But when its presence in our lives becomes normal, we also allow its atrocities to become normalized because there is no alternative or at least not one that we can imagine. I totally agree. I, um, I think this movie has a cynical take on capitalism. I guess just our society at large, I would say American capitalism specifically. Uh, that I totally agree with, and I and I 
which is why another reason why I like this movie because I agree with it, right? Um, yes. I think you could probably argue with the point this movie is making, but let's kind of let's follow the kind of the thought process they're putting us us through here. So before we really know who Jennifer Peterson is, who Miss Peterson is, because this is a stolen identity, of course. But before we know right. that, we believe that she has lived a very respectable, upstanding adult life. She never broke the law. She was a productive member of the workforce for 40 years, even worked for the same company that entire time. She retired responsibly with plenty of money to take care of herself. Besides getting married and having kids, Jennifer Peterson did what we're all quote unquote supposed to do. And what does that make her? A good person? Maybe, maybe. A target <laughs> for an enterprising capitalist? Definitely. And I want to I play this quote. I know what you do here. I know your game, your hustle. You do? I do, and honestly, it's a good one. You saw an opportunity and you grabbed it. Look at all these cash cows on your wall just leaking money into your account. One overpriced hour at a time, good for you. I'm not here to ruin your business. I'm happy for you to keep milking these poor vulnerable people for as long as you damn well please. Hell, if your whole enterprise isn't the perfect example of the American dream, I don't know what is. Now I I love this conversation between Dean and Marla. The the two of them so polished, so well dressed, so uh, so easy to look at. They they the way that they talk to each other it's not what you see on the surface is what's really going on. And it's it's just great. Well done by both of them. But I think what they're saying here the larger message is having a business that makes money doesn't necessarily mean you're providing a necessary service that the market is demanding, right? Because that's kind of what we love about capitalism is people need things, people offer their services. We have uh, two parties benefiting, the people who need the service and the people who are getting paid for doing the service, right? But that's not always true. Rather, like at the end of the day, you just found a way to take other people's money and hoard it for yourself by any means necessary. That's the American dream. Make as much money as you can, even if it means stepping on others. Actually, especially if it means <laughs> stepping on others. And I think this goes back to Marla's opening lines, where she says, we, the audience, the viewers, are not good people. Because even if we like to turn our noses up at what Marla does to make money in this movie, we still praise people like Marla for being successful in life. If you're getting money, you're doing good and you deserve the privileges and power afforded to you as a result of your wealth. Yeah, I mean, that's like, uh, that's what Anne Rand, her whole thing, right? Um, objective, objectivism, I think, is what the name of her philosophy. Um, basically, she says that if you're a good person, then you'll be successful under capitalism. And But people twist that around. I mean, that's not entirely true, but people also twist that misunderstanding around to another misunderstanding which is if you have a lot of money you must be a good person um which like isn't necessarily true right uh, those two things don't necessarily follow you know in some cases maybe it's true but in not in every case um and it's often hard to tell the difference right and a lot of people view capitalism as a system that requires exploitation so to do well you necessarily must exploit others and um and 
that's exactly what Milo is doing here in an extreme case. But there's plenty of other ways you can do that that aren't literally locking people away and separating them from their families. Right. Um, and I mean, this goes back to this idea of the American dream. So I, I want to play this, this next quote as well. I'm going to kill you now. Okay. You're not afraid of death? Do you remember how scary it was in 1807? No, me neither, because I wasn't alive yet. I'll feel the same way when I'm dead. Not even nothing. Why be scared of that? Anyway, you don't need to kill me. When you sent that lawyer with a case full of money, your instinct was right. I'm entirely willing to be bought off. Your man just came in too low. You have a figure in mind? Yeah. I want $10 million. Of, of course you do. You are... You're brave, Miss Grayson. Stupid, but but brave. Well, to make it in this country, you need to be brave. And stupid, and ruthless, and focused. Because playing fair, being scared, that gets you nowhere. That gets you beat. You know that. And I want to be rich, Mr. Lunioff. I want to be very fucking rich. Marla understands the American dream the real American dream. She's not going to waste her energy being a good person. She understands the power money has in our society. And she understands that if you want to have a lot of money, you have to be ruthless. I think people, I think plenty of people agree with Marla's decision here, but this to be ruthless and to get money at any, at any way possible, right? To, to hustle, to grind, to, make it her sole purpose in life to acquire more wealth. I think a lot of people unironically agree with that pursuit. But here, but this movie forces those people, forces all of us to grapple with the direct impact of Marla's pursuit of the American dream, mainly the people whose lives are destroyed in the process, the families that are torn apart and the retirees whose twilight years are ruined. And I think that forces us to reflect on that whole pursuit and whether or not that's what we should be going towards or if it's worth it. Right. So, I mean, the thing, like the thing is about, we talk, we talk about capitalism all the time on this. Podcast, I know. And I know but, saying all this, I have to like hold myself back. Cause I know I start to sound like a broken record and I know not everybody but, uh, agrees with this, but the thing is like, so the problem isn't so much that, um, capitalism is an evil system. It's that it incentivizes the wrong thing. And I have I have an analogy that I really like, which is you know those like those kids in like high school and college who are like the top of the class, they're like the really smart kids. Well, they the if you pay attention to what they were doing, they were not paying. They were not focused on learning. They were focused on getting good grades. And they they understood that getting a good grade led to greater success later on because it gave you more opportunities later on. Um, and if you were really smart, you could work in a way that boosted your grades and everything and without the burden of actually having to learn stuff. In theory, right, these two things are connected. These two things are linked. Better grades mean that you learned more. And in some ways, in some cases, that was true. But in the cases where you could choose, I'm being careful by saying you could choose, right, uh, either to learn or to get a good grade, they would always choose getting a good grade because the other thing was a waste of time, right? 
and there was not enough time to do that. And in some cases, there was even counterintuitive things they would do that would get them a better grade without actually going through the efforts of learning something. The same thing is true for our system of like of of market of the of capitalism. It incentivizes the wrong thing. In theory, it incent it says more wealth in the hands of individuals means that there's more wealth for everyone. And in some cases, that's true. It, that is why America is the richest country in the world is because we were able to fulfill some of those needs through this system. But at this point, and this is happening more and more often, um, there, there comes a break between making money and helping people. And when they have to, when you can choose between helping people and making money, if you want to be successful, you're always going to choose making money. And that's exactly what you see here, right? And this is a, this is kind of a twisted version of what this thing uh, is, but it's certainly true. It's, it's taking the things that are important, uh, which is making money and maximizing those and ignoring everything else. And when you're that efficient, right, it doesn't matter what falls by the wayside. Marla doesn't care about hurting people, right? She's not out to hurt people. She's here to make money and she doesn't care about hurting people. That's the difference, right? Apathy is the real, is the real danger here and the real weapon that causes things to crumble. Um, so again, like capitalism as a system is imperfect, right? I wouldn't say it's necessarily evil, but it encourages evil behavior in certain circumstances. This movie is a perfect example of how that kind of thing can happen and how someone can rise to the top and then we think of them as being this very professional uh, role model, someone we should be looking up to that would be successful, when in fact she made it on the backs of, you know, by crushing poor, vulnerable people. Um, and that's not the case for every person who occupies Marla's uh, position in our world, but it's certainly true for some of them. And it's certainly true that we don't criticize that kind of system enough. We don't say, okay, you know, Marla is not the necessarily problem. The problem is that she was encouraged to do this, right? There's nothing in our system that says, uh, that's not right. And that should be like, that should not be encouraged, right? Because if there was, then she would be acting a different way. It's as simple as like, where do you put your, where do you put your value, right? If you think making more money is going to, is, is better, then you're going to do whatever it is to get that money. If you think helping people is going to do that, then you're going to do something different. Though, if you link those two things together, then, you know, people are encouraged from two different directions and two different types of people will be encouraged to do something that, that will benefit everyone. But that's not what we have. What we have is a system that encourages you to make money. Um, and then you end up with, with environments like this. You end up with the outcome you have here in this movie. Right. Which is found in reality. Like we, we pointed out earlier. So it's, I think movies like this are important because it gets people to think a little bit differently because I, I don't think that every single person who's, you know, grinding and hustling and trying to make it, maybe that's the best thing that they can do. And, and they actually will come out with positive outcomes for uh, like, net positive outcomes for people uh, where you can you know start a business that ends up improving many lives and not necessarily trampling that many people but sure uh, there's also but, plenty uh, of the thing you've mentioned before is is exactly right where it does doing all the right quote-unquote right things make you like safe uh, uh, not at all you know there's 
because there's other people out there who are constantly trying to find ways of separating you from your money. Um, yes. And some of them are silly, like the car warranty thing, you know, and it only gets gets only gets a couple people. But the the uh, but there's more ruthless and like more elaborate things out there that people do. And the thing the thing that's really cr- crazy is like that what they what they're showing here is not an exaggeration. Like this is exactly this is a real scam that really did happen which we'll talk about in a minute right right well i think if people would just act in their own self-interest then they would agree with a lot of the things that this movie is is trying to say where scams like this exist all the time and it's mainly going to be a problem for you you're probably not going to be able to benefit from the scam for instance buying a car from a dealership the whole point of the salesman is to rip you off as badly as possible to make as much money like why can't you just go to a store and buy a car off the shelf like you buy batteries or something there's a market set up to take advantage of suckers who don't know what they're doing and separate them from their money. And that sucks. Well, you got to become an expert on cars just to drive one. You have to drive one. You don't get a choice. You, you have a lot of places you live. You have to buy a car. So now you have to navigate the uh, predatory marketplace for car buyers. And that sucks. That is like, you know, ideally a car salesman could have you roll off the lot with a car that will break down five miles down the road uh, and get maximum amount of money for that exchange. And then you'd have to come back by another car and then they'll try to do it again. Right. That is the best possible outcome for this car salesman, which sucks for you as the purchaser that you, you know, you're necessarily being destroyed. And this is an extreme case, obviously. But I think in general, people should be aware that these systems exist and you could be the next victim so you shouldn't side with the people who are dis- like working to destroy you um and you should at least be aware that they're out there doing these kind of things and maybe not be like simp them so hard and maybe even work towards change um, i mean there's plenty of discourse about you know things that we actually do have an impact on we as just citizens for instance the minimum wage where you have people who argue no 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 we should have people be paid less or not get paid more uh because i want big businesses to be able to like draw a bigger profit and for some people yeah that makes sense for their dollars and cents for the majority of people you fall into the class of like where that's going to help you um so just look out for your own best interest right but that's the thing that makes it so hard right and i think the brilliant thing about this movie is that um, you can't tell just by looking at Marla that what she's doing is wrong. If you just if you met her in the street, you would have no idea. And the way she, the the affect she puts on the, uh, the the performances she puts on in the courtroom, especially right, you think of her as being that she puts on this idea that she's a uh, um, like a, a helpful. Per, like she's a saint. Person. She's going out right. of her way to do what other people won't is to take exactly. care of people in their old age. Wow, she's a good person. She cares and the, a lot. That, that's exactly the kind of language that people that want to manipulate you and keep you poor um, will use. They'll say, "No, no, no, no. We can't raise the minimum wage because that will hurt you." Actually, like more money in your pocket is actually a bad thing, and here's why. And it doesn't matter if it makes sense because people believe it, and and people want to believe that. You know, everyone is out there looking out for you, but that's not the case. Everyone's out there looking out for themselves. Right. I right. I think that's so. I I love that she, they do that. They never let her break down. You know, like when she, when that guy spits on her or whatever, she gets angry with him. But it's just kind of like a self defense thing. It's not even like a um, uh, and she's not really breaking character for him really because he already knows that she's a monster. Um, so w- all she's doing is kind of reinforcing that he should be scared of her basically. 
and the same thing with when she's talking to Dean, like she's a little bit more ruthless when she's talking to the lawyer, but she's, um, but she's still putting on this affect of like, I'm not doing anything wrong, you know, and you're just trying to shake me down for no reason. You know, she continues to use the same language that is so effective and to perpetuate this idea that what she's doing is helping um, when she's not. She's obviously not. That, that, but, but, but if you're not there watching it happen, right, it's so hard for you to know what the difference is. And, you know, people are willing to trust other people because it's easier and it's uh, it's it's harder for people to reconcile the idea that other people are out there trying to kill them. But the truth is that like that's how it is. And you find enough, you find the right talking points or something, and it works for ninety percent of the people. And that's the thing. It's yeah. it's it's um it's just this idea that you can like um you say the right things and people will believe it. You know, and as long as you never break from that, never admit you did anything wrong. That's the, you know, that's the, the Trump playbook. Never admit you did anything wrong. Uh, always say you're winning. And it works. It works brilliantly. It worked, it worked so well. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's the model that people need to well, use if they want to yeah, be successful. Like, exactly. Like, like, I actually, I like, like the uh, Trump playbook too, because you got to project as well. Because yeah. when Dean takes her to court and he's trying to represent uh, Miss Peterson, he isn't able to and marla is even saying like she he's just trying to separate this woman from her heart exactly old age. exactly <laughs> yeah so but i think i think what you're saying is it's it's essential and because it's so easy for me to be like see capitalism bad you morons you should just be able to see that but it you're so right they do such a good job of camouflaging it that it's there is no easy answer. I, I don't know how to deal with this issue because, again, it's not just in the nursing home uh, marketplace. It's not just selling cars. Predatory business loans is literally just like a straight up ripoff that people are like, it's so good. I got my cash now. You know, stuff yeah. like that exists all over the place. So there's not like an easy fix. And just even having your mind change doesn't necessarily lead to direct impact uh, changes. But I think talking about this trying to get people to see things for how they are is a step in the right direction so that's that's one of the reasons i like this movie i also really like the structure of this film uh and and i i think this goes a little bit into your criticism of the way how prevalent the idea uh like this kind of capitalism commentary is throughout the movie because it it's definitely more present in some parts than others the first act makes me this movie feel like it was mainly going to be a commentary on these predatory business practices in America, kind of just displaying how twisted and cruel Americans are willing to be to make a buck. You know, the lions slaughter the lambs, all that. But then we get introduced to Peter Dinklage's character. And to me, at that point, it seemed like the movie is going to be more about this evil woman getting what she deserves at the hands of someone even more evil than her. Because let's not forget... Peter Dinklage's character, he's also a ruthless capitalist and he's doing even more disgusting business because it's heavily implied that he's trafficking women. It's, it's right, not well, even, he's traf yeah. I think he's trafficking drugs inside of people. He calls them mules, meaning, which is like, have you ever seen that movie uh, Lucy with Scarlett Johansson? No, but I've seen It's Always Sunny, and that's the same way they try to get drugs into jail. So I know what you right, mean. Right, right. They, they they, like, what they'll do is they'll actually perform like a back alley surgery and insert drugs in like packages of drugs inside of people and then send them over the line and then take and then, you know, rip it open and take uh, it out. Basically. 
and it, in a lot of cases, those like little bags will burst inside of people, and yep. then they'll just die from overdosing, which is uh, absolutely horrific. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yes. So he's even more quote unquote evil than her. Uh, and so now, so that's kind of what I saw is it's a Qui-Gon Jinn, there's always a bigger fish type movie where <laughs> even though she's evil, this guy's even more evil than her and then she'll get consumed by him. Um, but after Marla survives the murder attempt, it changes again. Now the movie seems like it's going to be some sort of redemption arc for a bad woman who gets put through hell, but ultimately survives. And then, I don't know, maybe at the end of that movie, she's like, you know what? I guess I shouldn't be such an evil bitch and I'll start doing nice things. And now maybe I'll be a good guardian or something like that. Maybe it could go in that direction. There is no implication of that, but let's just, if we were going to take the movie to its logical end, maybe that's what it would be, which to me was not very satisfying. I don't like Marla Grayson as a person. I was never rooting for her. Okay. So having her succeed at the end of this movie to me felt like it was going to be the opposite of progress. And I was actually kind of feeling disappointed as this movie got closer and closer to its conclusion, because that's what it looked like it was going to be to me. But of course that isn't how it ends. It was just setting up to get back to the original premise of being a commentary on American capitalism. Marla Grayson and Peter Dinklage don't need to fight each other. They're both lions. The lions don't need to fight each other. The lions just need to slaughter the lambs. And when they work together, they can slaughter an unbelievable amount of lambs. You can't count on capitalists to save you from capitalism. And I think that's way more poignant than any of the other, you know, quote unquote, logical conclusions that I was trying to foresee uh, at different stages throughout this movie. Yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, I love the ending. The ending is awesome. Oh, it's so they, good. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I don't know. I I was so I was the thing that I like the most about this movie is the fact they bring in Peter Dinklage as this like stereotypical crime lord guy, right? He's like, okay, we got two titans coming at each other, and one of them's in their element. One of them is like really emotionally motivated. Like, how are they going to work this out? How are they going to fight each other and everything? And they use all these different tactics, and and both of them are are, are exceedingly clever um, in how they do things. Um, and you know, Peter Dinklage is kind of like a, has a monopoly on force, like he's constantly going in there with as many big goons as he can. But um, you know, it, it's still like a uh, it's a clever operation he's got going on, and it's very careful and and clean and everything. So, seeing these two people who are both at the top of their game, like coming right at each other, is so entertaining. Um, and yeah, I don't know who I want to win. Right, I want I kind of want Peter Dinklage to win because his I feel bad for his mom, um, but not really for him though. Like, I don't really care about him that much, but I do feel bad for Miss Peterson. Like, I want her to be okay because she doesn't seem like she did anything wrong. And then I also kind of want to see Marla succeed because, like, we were following her from the beginning and he's like this ruthless man. And she's like, I can do anything like uh, that I put my mind to. And I'm like, yeah, you know, this is kind of cool. It's always satisfying for me when you're watching like an evil person or like a serial killer or something when they're doing something really, really well. As soon as mm -hmm. they stop, like, as soon as they stop functioning at that high level, that's when I become less interested in them. Um, well, as soon as they start making mistakes, that's when I'm like, ah, you know, whatever. But when they, when they're just, when they're like constantly at the top of their game, constantly outthinking their opponents, stuff, that's always super entertaining, no matter what they're doing. Um, and you get that a lot in this movie, which is very entertaining. What did you think of Marla's death at the end? Um, yeah, I don't really know what to think because it, it seems like uh, it almost seems like this is how we, this is how we. Uh, 
deal with it. Get okay, okay. So actually, <laughs> let me. Okay, so I think there's two ways to think of this. The end. Which I don't like movie. that. I don't right. like that take. Right no, no, no. And I know I'm not trying to assign that take to you, but like I, I think that they are potentially making that, having that take. So let me let me just say it. So I think there's two ways to look at Marlowe's death at the end. In one sense, I think this movie is making the argument that capitalists won't save you from capitalism and the only way to overthrow capitalism is armed revolution. I think this is a pretty cringe idea to promote since there's no way anybody's winning an armed conflict against the United States. Okay, so this is pretty much out of the question. I know that there are tankies out there. There are anarchists out there who are like, come on, here we do it. Let's do the revolution. But I think that's pretty ridiculous. So instead, a different way to interpret this, I think, is it shows that at the end of the day, Marla is still human. You know, we have all these systems and she has the power to manipulate those systems to make money and impose her will on people in the most sinister ways. She's godlike in her ability to thrive in this system. But at the end of the day, she's human, too. She will die, too, just like her wards. And that makes them not so different. Lambs and lions, they die all the same. Death is the great equalizer, which maybe, <laughs> I don't know, is, is uh, obvious, but uh, it feels no, refreshing like at the end of this movie, seeing her succeed so much. The, uh, one of my favorite podcasts, uh, Behind the Bastards, Robert Evans says, um, my great comfort is that all men die. Because um, he talks all about horrible people, just like Marla Grayson. And he says, yeah, like this is, this is the this is the thing. If we ever invent like life extending technology or something, that would be the the death of the world essentially, because only the rich would be able to afford it. And uh, I there's some like f- uh, like proverb or something that I have memorized. It's like um, if money was something, uh, if life was something that money could buy, the rich would never no, the poor would never live, and the rich would never die. Um, wow, love that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> But, uh, you know, just more generally, just another thing I wanted to mention, I I couldn't really fit it into my uh, analysis here. I loved the like sequence of Marla saving her tooth. I thought that was super badass. (laughs) I don't understand how that works. I guess like milk is like a preservative or something or or what? Like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, She like she loses the tooth and then she she has it and she puts it into her a jar of milk, which she thinks she's going to. I don't know what she's going to do with it. And then she eventually goes to the dentist and has it replaced just to like maintain her appearance, right? Like she has, she has, she has an aesthetic to upkeep. And part of that aesthetic is having a full set of teeth. So, but, and also, in there. I, I think it also kind of is the precursor to her, you know, revenge plan against Peter Dinklage because she's like, you just did something that to a lot of people is like insanely damaging. You just ripped a part of my, my head out of my face but now I'm going to put it back. You know, I'm going to be able yeah. to uh, like undo what you just did to me, which is just so badass. And I think it's so important to build up how much of a badass Marla Grayson is because uh, oh, yeah. this movie revolves around it. So I, no, I love super that. entertaining. <laughs> OK, uh, let's move forward to our cool Easter eggs. Joey, what do you got? OK, I got a quote to start off my Easter egg. <laughs> I'm not struggling. 
I'm fine. I'm more than fine. I don't need help. I'm afraid it's not up to you or me to decide. The court has ruled that you do need help, and as your legal guardian, I, I, it's my duty to ensure that adequate care is supplied to you at all times. Let me tell you something. I never went to court. This is the first thing I've heard about In court. emergencies, the court can convene without the presence of the prospective ward. Wow, that's crazy. Well, ma'am, you have to come with me. I'm not going anywhere. This is a court order, and if you don't comply with it, I'm afraid you may be in some trouble. So this is a uh, this like a whole thing, and then her moment when when uh, Miss Miss uh, Peterson says, "Wow, that's crazy." This is exactly what I said, and this is basically true. Um, like everything that she says in this in that little quote about how the the court can convene without the presence of the prospective ward, and how like they can transfer uh, like your ownership of your autonomy to somebody else uh with just like a piece of paper and like a couple of minutes inside a courtroom is all exactly true and i got a couple of things i want to read for you so first when rosamund pike accepted her golden globe for her performance in i care a lot she quipped in her speech maybe i just have to thank america's broken legal system for making it possible to make stories like this um and i have this uh this this uh quote from uh, Harper's Bazaar. It says, uh, an estimated 1.3 million adults are under the care of guardians, family members or professionals who control approximately $50 billion of, dollars of their assets. Uh, Senator Susan Collins said in the statement, guardianship is a legal uh, re relationship uh, created by a court that is designed to protect those with diminished or lost capacity. We found, however, that in many cases, the system lacks basic protections, leaving the most vulnerable Americans at risk of exploitation. And there's a this, this crazy article from The New Yorker that's really long that I recommend. It's very, very sad. Um, after reading it, I was in a much worse mood than after watching I Care A Lot, even though it's kind <laughs> of the same story. So I'm going to read a couple of uh, excerpts from that for you, just to kind of give you an idea of like, the real version of this. There was a real, so there's a couple of people who are prominent uh, Marla Grayson-like figures. One of them was named April Parks. Another one was named um, Jared Schaefer. Um, and I'll talk about both of them in a second. So, owing to age or disability, they have been deemed incompetent, a legal term that describes those who are unable to make reasoned choices about their lives or their property. As their guardian, Parks, had the authority to manage their assets and to choose where they lived, whom they associated with, and what medical treatment they received. They nearly, they lost nearly all their civil rights. The, uh, the people that they're talking about in the story are Rudy and Rennie North, um, who are some old people uh, that got exploited by April North. Uh, I'll continue. Without realizing it, the Norths had become temporary wards of the court. Park had filed an emergency ex parte uh, petition, which provides an exception to the rule that both parties must be notified of any argument before a judge. She had alleged that the Norths uh, posed a substantial risk for mismanagement of medications, financial loss, and physical harm. She su submitted a brief letter from a physician's assistant whom Rennie had seen once, stating that the uh, partner's, the patient's husband can no longer effectively take care of the patient at home as his dementia is progressing. She also submitted a letter from one of Rudy's doctors who described him as confused and agitated. Rudy and Rennie had not undergone any cognitive assessments. They had never received a, a diagnosis of dementia. Wow. 
um rennie was like she was a she was like in she had a lot of pain and like she she like had a lot of physical pain so she had a hard time kind of moving around but rudy was still like reading all the time like reading philosophy books and like they were they were always like out doing stuff and like going places and um like doing crosswords and you know just kind of being old people um uh, but definitely like fully autonomous her their uh their daughter visited them at home almost every day um and uh was basically just surprised one day when she came went, went there and they weren't there and she couldn't get in contact with them because they didn't have a phone it's crazy um so the my least favorite part of this favorite character in this whole thing is a guy named uh john norheim who is a he's not even a, a judge he's a lawyer um who was the clark county guardian commissioner this guy still has a job i think he doesn't he's not in a um he doesn't do the same thing he think he works in like child uh support like child case uh, child custody cases and stuff but he is one of the biggest like per perpetrators of this whole thing. Uh, he is like the the judge in the uh, in I care a lot, like almost exactly. And who was definitely a buffoon. Uh, oh yeah, he's totally a buffoon. I absolutely hate this guy so much. Um, so he he was a lawyer. Uh, he, he presided over nearly all the guardianship cases in the county since 2005. So this he is John Northheim. To be clear, this is you're talking about now yes. about the real life guy. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was under supervision of a judge, but his orders have the weight of a formal ruling. Norheim uh, awarded a, a guardianship to Parks on average nearly once a week. She had um, up to hundreds of words at a time. I love April Parks, he said at one hearing, describing her and her and two other professional guardians who frequently appeared in his courtroom as wonderful, good-hearted social worker types. Then they went on to talk about uh, Jared Schaefer, who is considered the godfather of guardians in nevada in the record rooms of the courthouse she was afraid uh she was afraid to say one of the wards was afraid to say schaefer's name out loud in the course of his 35-year career schaefer had um, uh, assumed control of more than 3,000 wards and estates and tra trained a generation of guardians so he is like the real marla uh, grayson oh, at the wow. end of the movie where he's like running a whole network um, Schaefer held so much sway in the courtroom that in 2013, when an attorney complained that the bank account of a ward named Christina uh, Berger had, uh, quote, no money left and no records to explain where it went, unquote, Schaefer told Norheim, close the courtroom. Norheim immediately complied. A dozen people in attendance were forced to leave. Wow. And yeah, I got, I got one more thing, uh, from, again, from the same article. Uh, after, uh, this is another, um, uh, this is, I, I believe this is, um, one of the daughters of one of the wards. After Julie Lebo arrived, Parks uh, began removing wards from Lakeview Terrace with less than a day's notice. A woman named Linda Phillips, who had dementia, was told that she was going to the beauty salon. She never returned. Uh, Marlene Homer, the uh, ward whose ailments were uh, depression and, and uh, quote, strange thoughts, was taken away in a van, screaming. Uh, Lebo then asked the state, um, uh, I don't know what this is, ombudsman, uh, I guess it's some uh, state official to come to the facility and stop the removals, but nothing could be done. We stood there completely helpless. Lebo said, we had no idea where they're going. Lebo said that after that other wards asked if her asked her if they would be next. Um, but basically they, there was uh, Julie Lebo was the, the new um, uh, director of the nursing home who wouldn't play along with April parks's um, like grift. And she started trying to, she started like trying to let the, uh, wards see their children um and and like gave them and there was one case where uh 
like the somebody in who's a, like a person in the nursing home her dog had been taken by april parks and like you know given away to somebody else and she was like really upset and lebo uh told the uh told the um that ward's like daughter or, or her like child that um she was fine that she was stable and she was like you know she was doing okay and parks filed like a legal injunction against her saying that she wasn't allowed to reveal information about these people without her permission it's so real like this movie it's crazy. is so real <laughs> it's and like some there's also the story about how april parks had a storage locker full of urns that never got buried or something for all these people that died and she never like even had like a like a service for them um it's it's sick it's absolutely disgusting uh so if you want to if you like this movie and you want to be depressed um read this article of the new yorker it's very well written we'll very, link very it interesting in the description but I think just bringing that up is enough. You know, if you didn't believe us before, this stuff is real. This kind of thing happens all the time. Oh, yeah. Which makes this movie that much more hard hitting. Although if it was totally fictional, it'd still be pretty twisted. Like, uh, oh, yeah. It's like <laughs> from the twisted mind of uh, what's his name? Jay uh, Blakeson. <laughs> but uh, actually just lifted out of reality, unfortunately. Um, I only have a couple of Easter eggs to mention. One the peter dinklage's choice in macaroon color and i think we've kind of been <laughs> circling this idea uh through our conversation contrasting him with marla but mm. i think this was very intentional marla's demeanor is very pleasant professional colorful and that's the way that the first piles of macaroons look and this is right when we're getting introduced to peter dinklage's character he looks at the macaroons he walks he walks until he gets to the pile of like tan bland colored macaroons and without saying anything he just nods to the person who's slicing it which is so badass you don't even have to talk to the person you're getting your macaroons from you just they know what you mean i know but he has like the bag over marla's head right when she's torturing her uh and then he like nods to the guy behind him like behind her like to take the bag off it's like how do you how do you communicate that's exactly what like how is that not different than puncher in the head you know what i mean right, like <laughs> right it's so well orchestrated but but specifically about the macaroon color i think this was intentional to kind of contrast who he is as this ruthless evil guy versus how she is where he doesn't try to make his business look good it's evil it's bad it's tough to stomach the things that he's doing and he's not trying to necessarily hide the fact that it is what it is, right? Obviously, he's doing his crimes in secret, so the cops don't know, but he doesn't do anything to dress them up. And then you can contrast that with Marla, who is doing her villainy out in plain sight, but because of the way that she dresses it up, because of how colorful and aesthetically pleasing it is, it goes you know, totally A-okay to everyone involved. Exactly. I think is really cool. Yeah, yeah. That is really cool. Yeah, he's like, he's very unassuming, you know? He's just Peter Dinklage, and he's got these big black vans and these guys dressed in black and everything, but, you know... He could just be anybody. He's not. He's not super. He's not flamboyant in any way. Sure, and and he doesn't care that it's not colorful and stuff. That's not important to his business model. Right. But at the end of the day, they're both doing kind of the same thing, right? So they're still macaroons. So I, I don't know. I thought that was a nice little bit of mm. uh, symbolism. And then uh, also 
this movie is another example, another great example of bisexual lighting. So oh we, haven't, my God. we haven't brought this up yet, but obviously Marla is a lesbian, right? But I think this movie is hinting that she may actually be bisexual because of the cycling scenes where she's in her cycling class. Uh, the, there's definitely bisexual lighting if I've ever seen it uh, in, that, in that scene, uh, multiple scenes actually, where she's in cycling class. So I uh, just wanted to bring that up since we talked about it last week as well marla uh, grayson bisexual confirmed because of the lighting choices and the cycling scenes right so intentional. i see no i see no <laughs> no holes in that logic absolutely right. <laughs> and it's so important to the narrative the overarching narrative uh, uh commentary of this movie to make sure you knew marla grayson was bisexual without any other indicators besides this lighting that's right so there you have it bisexual lighting very real part of film analysis and uh (laughs) that's it that's all there is to it okay joey i think that's going to conclude our conversation on i care a lot as we do at the end of every episode it's time for us to deliver our ratings uh what do you want what rating do you want to give this movie I give this movie a jug of milk with a human tooth in it. No way. <laughs> Is that yours too? Yes. I was going to say, just a glass of milk with a tooth in it. That's the first time we've ever done that. Oh my gosh. How many, how many episodes have we done with like our ratings? This is the first time we've ever had one overlap like that. That's hilarious. Um, <laughs> I think it's fitting though. I think that the, the like milk is used a lot for sinister evil characters, especially characters who have to give like, it's kind of a contrast to their outward appearance where they try to appear nice, but they end up being a monster on the inside. Um, so I think it's fitting and having a tooth in there really sets it apart to be like, this is a yeah. specific reference to Marla. So I'm happy with that. I'm okay. I was also that. like debating about like, you know, uh, it's a bag, a, like it's, it's a tiny black bag inside of a book, inside of an envelope or something, uh-huh. uh, but inside are teeth, uh, not diamonds. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, okay. Well, there you have it. I'm really glad we talked about this movie. Uh, Joe Rogan recommended it. Hassan Piker recommended it. I'm sure they'll be super happy to hear this episode then. That's right. They, shout out the boys you know both of those guys definitely listen to affable chat uh joey what's next on affable chat next we're doing another uh very recent release justice league the snyder cut yes all four hours we're going to be watching that movie uh i mean hopefully the podcast episode won't be that long but who knows i've just heard good things about I, I'm not a DC guy. Probably wouldn't have watched this movie if it didn't get the hype that's surrounding it. So we're going to have our opinion on it, and you can hear it right here on Affable Chat. You can subscribe to us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. And wherever you listen to us, uh, leave us a review. It really does help us grow. You can reach us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Affable Chat, or send us an email, affablechat at gmail.com. We also have a YouTube channel where we upload episodes of the podcast and clips from the stream and other things unrelated to movies. Affable Chat is live on Tuesday nights, 7 p.m. Eastern on Twitch. That's twitch.tv slash Affable Chat. That's going to do it for this episode. For Affable Chat, I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. Thanks for listening. <laughs>